Well, we're going to look at a topic that we all need, I think. So let's just sort of jump into it. Um, Jesus told him a parable. The kingdom of heaven. By the way, a lot of these parables are about the kingdom that's going to come, okay? Uh, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in a field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And so we're going to look at several life truths today, but the first one I want you to notice is that small things have very large effects. And so if you think about it, every song ever written or every cantata or every hymn, there are about 12 notes. Uh, It all consists of about 12 notes. They're uh, compiled in different ways but and organized and arranged differently, but 12 notes sort of is what it takes to write a song. It's just kind of how it works. Every a great novel that's ever been written consists of 26, um, if you wrote it in English, 26 letters. Uh, 26 little letters, and you can have a book as large as War and Peace. And even, I mean, there, there are great songs, and most of them have about eight notes. Uh, the greatest Elvis song, which would, it is, do you know what it is? Greatest Elvis song, anybody? Blue Swag? No, it's okay. Um, Kentucky Rain, uh, greatest Elvis song. Um, it's it's very it's endearing. It's about a guy who's creeping on his ex-girlfriend. Uh, it's really great. She he is kind of a stalker. Um, and every parable that Jesus tells, most of them are kind of short, but they have this huge impact. And so when Jesus tells this story, he's saying, okay, look. Um, not, not everything is bombastic and huge and big. Sometimes things have really small beginnings, and yet they can have a dramatic effect. That's kind of what he's talking about today. So the background, you have to really get this to understand where Jesus is coming from. All right. So Jesus is Jewish. He was born to a Jewish family. His people are the Jews. The Jewish people live in Israel. Israel, at the time Jesus is uh, around, is occupied by the Romans. They have their own land, but not really, because the land is occupied by the Romans. And the Jews remember the glory days. They remember when David was king, and that was kind of the the peak of, of their history, was when David was the king of Israel. And so they're looking for someone to take them back to their glory days. Uh, You see it in sports all the time. Um, A a basketball team used to be good, and now they're not good anymore. They want to get back to their glory days, and their fan base wants to get back to their glory days, or a football team or whatever. There there are a contingency of of teams that want to be great again. I think of like Nebraska football. It used to be amazing, and now it's really not that good. And and those people in Nebraska really want them to be good. And so uh, Israel had at one time been really the dominant force in the world when David was king. And they wanted to go back to that because when you're on top, you want to go back there. And so they were looking for a Messiah. And the Messiah means the anointed one. And they used language around Jesus like this. They called him the king of the Jews. 
And when they thought about the king of the Jews, they're thinking of a, a military, mighty leader like David was. You know David had this reputation. Remember the song they used to sing? Uh, Saul has killed, killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. He was this mighty warrior. He killed people and he broke things and he led armies and he uh, had people who rallied around him and that's what they were looking to restore. They wanted a Messiah that would do powerful things. And they, they read the prophets, Ezekiel and others, and, and they had the notion that the Messiah would come and he would, he, he would come in glory and power and there would be cataclysmic events and great things would happen and they would be restored to power. Basically, their motto is, we would win, they lose, we dance on their graves. This is what they're hoping the Messiah is going to bring to Israel. And so they're looking for somebody to do that. And now Jesus comes along and there's a struggle because Jesus doesn't do that stuff. I mean, he does great stuff. He does amazing stuff. He feeds people. He heals people. He walks on water. I mean, he does some amazing things. He does some Messiah-y kind of things, but he doesn't do King David kind of things. And so they're struggling. Um, they're expecting Vin Diesel and they get Mr. Rogers. And that's just different. And so they don't know what to do with this Messiah. They, they think, some of them think he's a Messiah. Some. But they don't know what to do with him. And so think about this. This lasted for a long time. Them not knowing what to do with Jesus. Jesus is crucified, he's resurrected in the book of Acts, talks about the resurrected Jesus, and then the beginning of the church. That's what Acts is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about the life of Jesus. Acts is Jesus' resurrection, and it's the post-resurrection world, and Jesus has just defeated death. If you defeat death, you are one bad boy. I mean, that, that is power. And he has displayed his power by defeating death. And Jesus is walking on the earth, and he meets with his disciples post-resurrection, the post-resurrection powerful Jesus has a conversation with his disciples. On one occasion, he was eating with his disciples and he gave them this command. Now, this is like, hey, this is our strategy session. This is what's going to happen next. I just think about this. Would it not be awesome to have Jesus come over for dinner one night and say, hey, okay, this is next. Well, that's what he's doing. He's having a next meeting with these guys. And he said, okay, do not leave Jerusalem. By the way, that is quite a difficult thing to do. Jerusalem, there are people hunting for followers of Christ. Uh, this is not a safe place. And yet Jesus says, okay, uh, stay where you are, but wait for a gift, the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is like, okay, okay, this is next. And then look at, their, look at their response. They gathered around and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to do that thing we think you're supposed to do? And can you imagine Jesus? I, I would think if I'm Jesus, I'm shaking my head. I just told you what's going to happen. You're going to wait and the Holy Spirit's going to come. And they really don't care about that. They just want what they think they're supposed to get. A restoration of the kingdom. They want to be, they, they, they want to win, you lose, 
we dance on your grave. This is what they want. And they can't get in their minds. That's not why Jesus came. So look at what Jesus is so patient. I love his patience. He, it should say he patiently said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the dates. It's, he, that's above your pay grade, boys. I, I can't tell you that. The Father has set his own authority, the date and his own authority. But you'll receive power, just like I said a second ago, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's not going to be what you thought it was going to be. And they never quite understood it. And in Jesus... They're expecting a Messiah who's going to, to rule, to, to rule with power and authority. And this is not who they get with Jesus. And so what's really confusing to them is Jesus, in their minds, the Messiah should be saying, this is what we're going to do to our enemies. <laughs> Rather, what they get is Jesus saying, this is what the enemies are going to do to me. You see it in... in uh, when he says stuff like this, he began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. That's not what we want to happen. We have an idea. We have a notion. This isn't it. And can you imagine the disciples? Palm Sunday... I mean, that was the peak of Jesus' power. He comes into Jerusalem. People are chanting, Hosanna is he who comes in the name of the Lord. they waving palm branches, which is a symbol of, of victory in war. They're laying their cloaks on the ground. Everybody's cheering. Jesus is coming in. And the only thing I can liken it to is this. Let's say today you have a political candidate that you really support, maybe for mayor, governor, president, and you decide you're going to throw in with that campaign. And so maybe you're super political and that's your thing, and so you, you work for that candidate, and you, you, uh, you knock on doors and tell people about that candidate, and you give money to that candidate, and you are uh, kind of in the, uh, the, the upper echelon of the candidate's campaign, and you help manage, um, uh, you, you, you make decisions about, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's advertise here, or let's do this, and so you're prominent, because when... That candidate, if that candidate wins, you win. If that candidate, like if you're a president, if you're on the presidential committee, a steering committee, and the president wins, well, he might, he might give you a, uh, he might appoint you as an ambassador to some place, ambassador to Switzerland or ambassador to, you know, to, to Cuba or maybe, I don't think we have an ambassador to Cuba, but anyway, uh, an ambassador someplace, or he might make you secretary of state, or he might make you something big. And so, these disciples, the closest to Jesus, that's why James and John said, hey, Jesus, when you come into power, let one of us sit on your right and one on your left. Let, let one of us be vice president and one of us be uh, secretary of state. We want the positions of power because when Jesus came to power, in their minds, they were going to come to power. So, Peter's like, no, 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 this isn't the plan. The whole crucifixion thing, no. You're the Messiah, you're going to come to power, we're going to be prominent. Peter says this because he's one of Jesus' best friends. 
Peter, James, and John, those were the three big, big buddies of Jesus. So you would have to imagine, Peter is thinking to himself, if Jesus becomes king, I am going to be incredibly important in the kingdom. That's why he's like, no, 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 no. That's not the way we think it ought to go down. And so Jesus tells him this stuff, and this is the peak moment of Jesus' popularity. Hosanna is he who comes in. He rides in on a donkey. Everybody is cheering. There's clapping. Everybody's waving palms. It's Jesus' inauguration to power. And the disciples are, are jacked up. And Jesus says this, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And they cannot understand what he's talking about. And here's another principle from these parables that's super important. Earthly victories should be taken with a grain of salt. Sometimes we win. Occasionally things will go our way. You have a victory in your life. Maybe you get the job that you'd hoped for. Maybe something goes your way and you have a victory. But understand something. We live in a fallen world. Evil doesn't just quit. When evil is defeated, it doesn't lose graciously. (laughs) It gets up and it fights even harder. And so, we should enjoy the victories, but understand something. This world is still broken. Jesus said stuff like this, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break into steal, but store for yourself treasures in heaven. Jesus basically says in this verse, you got to play the long game. Earthly victories, that's okay. But understand something. There is an eternity. It's out there. And so just remember, this isn't all there is. And sometimes it doesn't go our way. And it's also important, this isn't all there is. And sometimes... Bad things happen, and it causes us to worry. I mean, does anybody have any worries? I, I think most of us in here have worries. we got stuff that causes us anxiety. You know who's anxious? Uh, anytime, I've, I've done a lot of weddings. I've been a pastor a long time. I've probably done about 200 weddings. I've done a lot of weddings. There's one person in a wedding party that's typically very anxious about things. She's called the mother of the bride. They, they're not always crazy but most of the time they're pretty anxious about stuff i did one wedding one time i mean this mother of the bride whoo she didn't like anything she didn't like the color of uh of of the outfits she didn't like the you know the colors they had picked they didn't like the flowers she didn't like my shoes she said if you don't get better shoes i can you can be replaced and it was my mother-in-law, you know, it's like, uh, it was at my wedding. I mean, she, she was very anxious about things. Uh, stuff happens in life. You get anxious. And, and so God is saying in this parable of the mustard seed, look, 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 look. It might not be going your way now, but God is at work. Here's how seeds work. You put them in the ground and you can't see them working, but while they're unseen, things are happening. And you give it a little water and you get a little sunshine and you give it a little warmth and before you know it, 
something happens under the soil that you can't see. And sometimes it appears, it feels like things aren't going the way that they should. And we have to, we have to endure difficult times. We live in a world that's fallen and broken and, and stuff doesn't always go our way. And Jesus in this parable is saying, look, you might not be able to see God working. That doesn't mean he's not working. Super important for us. See, there is something we all need. It's like vital to your life and it's called hope. Hope is the thing that gets you from one day to the next. If you're sick, what are you hoping for? You're hoping that tomorrow, tonight you get sleep, tomorrow you feel better. When you're sick, you need hope for the tomorrow. When you're a kid, you start school and what do you hope for? You hope that someday you'll graduate. And when you graduate, you hope that you can eventually get a job that's going to pay you enough to, to, to you know, get out of your parents' house. And, and your parents hope that too, by the way. And, and so you start to work, and then you get a job. And then maybe you're single, and maybe you're hoping, I'd like to be married someday. And someday you get married, and you're hoping for that. And then you're married, and maybe you're hoping for kids. Not everybody has kids, but some people want kids. And so you're hoping to have kids. And then you have children. And then when you have children, you begin to hope. You hope that one day they leave. And, and so uh, hope gets us from one day to the next. And Jesus is saying, uh, there's a reason to hope. You might not see God working. That doesn't mean He's not working. There's this powerful verse in Proverbs. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred. That means you have hope, but it's not happening right away. And, and some of us, we have these desires, and they don't happen right away. I, I read about this one guy. He had hope deferred. He writes, When I was a boy growing up, I was very skinny. When I entered high school as a freshman, I was six feet tall and weighed 120 pounds. But I had hopes of gaining weight. And my Swedish grandfather told me, eat spinach. It'll do two things for you. It'll give you a strong, thick torso, and it'll put massive amount of hair on your chest. Now you may wonder if those two qualities are even desirable. But you have to understand, I grew up Swedish, and all Swedes want those qualities, even the women. <laughs> I pinned all my hope on spinach. That's where all my hope went. I worked, it worked for Popeye. I figured it, if I ate enough spinach, it would work for me. I'm now 42 years old, still skinny as a rail, and my chest looks like a hairless cat. But even so, I continue to eat the spinach. We're not talking about, in this parable, we're not talking about being more optimistic, although being optimistic is a good thing. I mean, seeing the glass is half full is a good thing. We're not even talking about um, just wishing for something. What Jesus wants us to know in this parable is, even if you can't see God working, that doesn't mean he's not working. Even if you can't see it, it doesn't mean it's not happening. So the real question is, am I putting my hope in the right thing? Because you can, and we do, put our hope in the wrong thing sometimes. We just do. Um, let me give you a couple of verses. I'll just point out a couple of things people hope in. This is by no means exhaustive, but I wanted you to get a couple. In Proverbs, it says, Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, and there are people who depend on their looks. That's where they place their hope. 
And have you ever, have you ever, I've watched old movies sometimes and I'll watch an old movie and somebody will be in that that's uh, an attractive, like it's an attractive actress or actor. And I think to myself, I wonder what they look like now. You know, so I'll, I'll Google them. Ooh, that's ugly. I mean, that is, that is a, it's like, wow. Unless you're Tom Cruise, who doesn't age, uh, everybody ages. I mean, it's like, woo, wow. Um, are they still alive? You know, it's kind of, because that picture looks like they're not. Uh, so we can depend on our charm and our looks. We can put our hope in that. Young men oftentimes put their hope in their own strength. You know, young men are kind of kind of that way. They're kind of cocky and they kind of have their I can do anything kind of deal. The other day we were on a hike and we hiked to this place called the Blue Hole and and it's a waterfall that waterfalls into this place where you can swim. Uh, they call it the Blue Hole because the water temperature is about 60 and as soon as you get in you turn blue. Uh, it was so cold. And we walked up and there were a couple of guys that were just getting out, young guys, you know, in their 20s and this one guy was talking about how he jumped in and all. You know, he's kind of full of bravado. You know, yeah, there's a rope up there. You can swing up. It's like, yeah, it's cool. And I was going to dive in, but uh, I, he he was so embarrassed. But I chickened out. It's like I look. I looked at where he was going to jump from, and I'm like, well, I wouldn't even consider it. And you know, I wouldn't get to that point to chicken out. I got up there and I looked at it. And it's like I chickened out. It's like, yeah. I, that's called being smart. You know, it's like not chicken and out. It's not being stupid. Um, we depend on the wrong things. This one, some trust in chariots and some in horses. Some people trust in governments. But Jesus says, all right, what you need to trust in is the kingdom of God. God has things under control. Let me show you a picture of a mustard seed. Look how little this is. A mustard seed is 39 one-thousandth of an inch across. Yet when it is fully grown, it can be as tall as 20 feet tall and nearly that wide. That's a pretty big tree, 20 feet by 20 feet big. In that little seed, it's tiny, is the potential to be a tree that's 20 by 20. It just takes a little bit. Small things can have a, a large effect. And, and so sometimes you just have a, a little hope. I, I love this verse in Zechariah. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Don't despise small beginnings. You might think, well, man, I, I don't have a lot going for me. Well, maybe you don't. That means it can't become more. Don't despise small beginnings. Then he tells his second parable. The kingdom of heaven, again, uh, God's kingdom, his, his, his reign, is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. And when, when the people hear this, 60 pounds of flour is a lot of flour. I mean, that is a lot of flour. Um, by the time you add water to this, it's going to weigh about 100 pounds. It, it is a lot, of, a lot of, it's big. It's enough. <laughs> this, this gal is making enough bread to feed Marietta. I mean, it's like a lot of bread. And so uh, 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Miriam is a, a, a bread maker. Uh, she makes a certain kind of bread. It's a Swiss bread. It's called something in Swiss. Uh, I would tell you, but I, I can't remember. Anyway, um, she makes it. Okay, so uh, 
I don't offer to help because I don't want to get in her way. Uh, so uh, it's not because I'm lazy. It's because I don't want to get in her way. And she has a system. She knows what she's doing. So she, she gets the flour, and then I think she puts an egg in there. Does that sound right? Let's go with that. Uh, she puts an egg in there, and then um, wa- water. And she mixes some yeast in some water, and then she puts it in there, and then she kneads it. She's kneading, 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 you know. That's when I leave. It looks like work. Uh, and then she kneads it into like a lump. And then she'll put it on a tray. Does this sound right? Okay, good. And then she puts it in the oven, and it's warm. She's not cooking it yet. She's just warming it. And, and you, can, you can sit back, and you can watch it, because leavening is this chemical process. The, the leaven has gotten into the dough, and these little... Pockets of carbon dioxide, they, they begin to expand as the dough warms. And it, it, it rises, the bread rises. And then she cuts it into little pieces and she makes little balls and she makes little biscuits or whatever she's making and she puts it in the oven. And then the whole house is full of the smell of fresh baked bread. And once the leaven gets into the bread, you can't get it out And so Jesus is telling this, by the way, I think it's interesting how large an amount he's saying here. It's like it it takes just a little bit of leaven to leaven this huge amount of dough. It doesn't take much. And once it starts, game over. Because when the leaven gets in the dough, you can't get it out. And when it says the woman took and mixed into, it really means, the word literally means, doesn't mean mixed, it means hides. It's hidden. It's, it's, the word, it's the Greek word from which we get the word uh, cryptic. It's hidden in the dough. And sometimes in your life, you're going to feel like you're the only little seed of Christianity in a, in a sea of, or in a field of, of dissent and evil and angst. And you're, you're not much and you don't think you're very much. And I think Jesus uses this word intentionally because Jesus had 12 disciples and some others. He had his 12 closest disciples. One of them betrayed him. And so when when his kingdom began, when Christianity began, there were about 120 followers, give or take. 120 out of... Millions and millions and tens and hundreds of millions of people in the world. 120. That is a small beginning. Yet 2,000 years later, because of Christ, hospitals have been built, universities have been established, there are literally hundreds of millions of Christians across the planet that began with 120 followers in one spot in the Middle East. And Jesus is saying, okay, okay. It might not seem promising today, but you don't know what God is doing. Don't resent small beginnings. Because God is up to something. And when you hear horrible things happen, and horrible things happen all the time, but lately, you know, we've had school shootings, and that was so horrible. 
And you, you name the tragedy. I know you read the news. You know what's going on. Tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And a lot of times, people will want to legislate. They want a law. You can't legislate away evil. You just can't. If somebody doesn't have a gun, they use a knife. If they don't have a knife, they use a car. If they don't have a car, they use a golf club. Evil will find a way. Because evil is relentless. And you can make laws, and laws are great. But here's the thing about laws. People who break laws, people break laws. People who don't do bad things, they break laws. They don't care about laws. And you look at the world and you think, man, this is, this is broken. And it is broken. And it's been broken for a long time. Adam and Eve lived in perfection and they were in perfect relationship with God. And then they fell and it was broken. But even then, God gave them hope. He tells them in Genesis 3 that there's going to be a day when evil is crushed. It's not going to be anymore. And he says, eventually there's going to be a Messiah. And this is what they're looking for. All of Jesus' followers, they're looking for the guy who's going to crush evil. And God is good about giving us signs of hope. Remember the, the, the ark, he, he, uh, he gave them the rainbow, and that was the sign of hope. Never again am I going to do that. And when the Israelites left e Egypt, he gave them manna, and it was like, hey, every day I'm going to provide. And, and, and so God gives us these, these little nuggets of hope. And Jesus, when he began his ministry, his very first sermon, this is what he said. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. And everybody was excited to hear those words because they had been waiting a long time for the kingdom of God to be near. <laughs> really been waiting a long time. In fact, those are the words all humanity has been waiting to hear since the fall of creation. Hey, the kingdom of God is going to happen. And so this itinerant rabbi, little-known rabbi, he comes along and he proclaims to be, or at least his followers proclaim him to be the Messiah. And he doesn't do what they think he ought to do. He doesn't accept a crown. Remember one time they wanted to name him king. They were, they were going uh, to inaugurate him as king. And he walks away. And, and he doesn't establish an organization. He, he doesn't assemble an army. He doesn't meet with the Caesars or the Romans. He doesn't, he doesn't do any of that stuff. He doesn't do all the stuff that they thought he was going to do. He doesn't do any of it. He does good stuff. And they're wondering to themselves... Well, this is not what we thought. And I don't know if you've ever been disappointed, but disappointment is tough. And I don't know if you've ever disappointed anybody. I have. And Jesus disappointed people too. If you've ever disappointed anybody, well, you're in good company because Jesus disappointed them too. And they kept asking themselves, is this the guy? Is, is he the one? And... And John the Baptist, John the Baptist is the dude who said about Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And he says about Jesus, he is uh, one who I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And, and, and so John the Baptist, he's all in on Jesus. And yet, and yet, John the Baptist, well, um, he says he must become more and I must become less. I mean, he's, really, he's all in on Jesus. And then he's thrown into jail. And when you have a negative setback in your life, it has a tendency to cause you to question your hope. I mean, I'm following Jesus. I, I, I believe in Jesus. Why is this bad thing happening to me? I'm a follower of Christ. And so John asked the question lots of us have in our hearts. He sent a couple of his followers, his disciples, and he's, he, they, they say to Jesus, are you the one who's to come? Or are we to wait for another? At one point, he's all in. John the Baptist is all in. But now, in prison, for really, he's, in, he's a political prisoner because he questioned some actions of one of the, the, the leaders of the country. And he's thrown into jail for that. And it doesn't end well for him. And he sends messengers to ask Jesus the question. Because Jesus didn't do what they thought he was supposed to do. And sometimes in our lives, Jesus doesn't do what we think he's supposed to do. I have a friend named Jerry. She has kidney issues and she's been waiting for a transplant. And she's asked several times. She's made the request to get on the kidney transplant list. And she's called me and we've texted back and forth. And this week she went, her case was brought before kind of the last chance she had to get on the list. Now, not, not to get a kidney, just to get on the list to, to get a kidney. And they turned her down. And she had hope and hope and hope. And she just believed and believed and believed. And then it didn't turn out the way that she thought it was going to. And now we pray for her because she's disappointed. Because God doesn't always do things the way we hoped He would or thought He should. Are you the one? Or should we expect another? And Jesus says, Go back and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And that sounds nothing like we win, they lose, we dance on their graves. <laughs> That's not what Jesus says at all. And he's saying, don't be confused. Don't be confused. Right now, it may not look like I'm at work. <laughs> but don't be confused. Just like the seed under the soil is working, just like the yeast in the dough is working, you may not be able to see it, but it doesn't mean it's not happening. Think about how insignificant Jesus was when He came 
to this world. He was a little baby born in a town called Bethlehem that probably the Caesar didn't even know he ruled over. He was laid in a manger. Is there anything more vulnerable than a baby in a manger? And yet from that baby, from that seed, the greatest movement of love in the world has ever seen has grown. Just because you can't see God moving doesn't mean He's not moving. So, what do we do when it's not bread yet? <laughs> you know, when it's not a plant yet? When the seed is still under the ground and it's not poked its head up through the ground just yet? What do we do when we can't see results just yet? Well, I'm going to give you two things, and they're both very difficult. (laughs) You're welcome. Let's talk about it. Two things, difficult things, hope does. Number one, it waits patiently. God's timing is not our timing. So we wait patiently. The other day I was at a store. I had one item. One item. I get in the queue behind a lady... I didn't count how many, but I'm relatively certain it was a thousand and seven. She had so many things in her cart. So I made sure uh, she saw me with my one item. I did puppy dog eyes, you all know, right? You tilt your head a little, a little lip. She didn't care. (laughs) She got in line and evidently she picked everything in that cart that didn't have a price tag on it because it took them forever to figure out what this stuff cost. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, and I don't, I don't, I've never heard God's audible voice, but I do hear him speak to my spirit. And it was as if God was saying, this is a great lesson for you. It's like, well, okay, could we hurry it up? Uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, patience. The thing about our character is that it often is a process that takes time. And so today, maybe there's something in your life that you're not very patient about, and you should be, or you need to be. Maybe you've got a child that's struggling and you're struggling with and they're a prodigal and you don't see movement and you're wondering what's going on. Maybe you're wrestling with a sin in your life and you thought you had it under control but now it's not under control and you don't know what to do about it. Maybe you're dissatisfied with work. As a general rule, the process of developing our character takes time. It just does. Hope waits patiently. Hope also refuses to give in to fear. You probably know this silly little story about guys hiking, and he's hiking by himself. He's having a great day, and he's way out in the woods by himself, and, and all of a sudden he encounters this huge bear. The bear kind of rises up in the middle of the hiking trail, and the, the guy, he knows you can't outrun a bear, and you can't outclimb a bear, and you can't outswim a bear. Bears can do everything better than us. 
And he doesn't have a spray, he doesn't have a gun, I mean, he is just toast. And all he knows to do is to fall to his knees and he prays. And he says, God, please make this bear a Christian. The bear's charging him, he's charging him, and all of a sudden the bear stops. And the guy's like, wow. And then the bear folds his hands, and he says, Lord, for this food I'm about to receive, I am truly grateful. And we work in this sort of, this, uh, this tension between hope and faith. And, and we, life in this world is tough. And sometimes you're tempted to gravitate to fear. And if you have a bull market, you're happy. And if you have a bear market, you're sad. And my party wins, I'm happy. And my party loses, I'm sad. And things go my way, I'm happy. And things go not my way, I'm sad. But there's hope. Even in difficult times. In Hebrews it says this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. We have this hope. An anchor is something that keeps you stable. He talks about Jesus. Jesus is our anchor that keeps us stable. I want to end with this story. This is a church, the name of which is El Templo de la Sagrada Familia, the Church of the Holy Family in Barcelona. The design and construction was by a guy named Antoni Gaudí. Um, if you ever heard of something called, that, that thing is gaudy, it came from his name. That he's, he, it's kind of gaudy, the whole thing is kind of gaudy. He began this work in the 1880s. He had it in his mind, he sort of sketches out some stuff, they begin to construct this. For 40 years he works on this, and uh, he, was, um, he had an untimely death. After 40 years of working on this, the structure was about 20 to 25% done. It's still not done, by the way. It's due for completion. I've, I read two different dates, so I don't know which one's right. Uh, either 2026 or 2032. I, can't re- I, I don't know if maybe 2026, the major construction's done, and then 2032, they're finishing the finishing touches. But somebody asked him one time, he, kings, queens, they came to look, and they, they were seeing you know, the construction and how, I mean, it's huge. Think about how they built that in 1880. How, how would they even do it? And people from all over came to look at it, and, and the, the process was slow, was, was painfully slow. And they asked him, they said, how does it feel to pour your life into something with so little results? And this was his line. He said, my client is not in a hurry. sometimes we pour our life into something and it doesn't happen as quickly as we want and it's good to remember our father's not in a hurry his timing is not our timing and just because you can't see him at work doesn't mean he's not at work father we're thankful for your patience and sometimes we need that patience Because we can't see everything that you're doing. 
We can't see what's going on underground. We can't see what's going on in the dough. We can't see what's going on behind the scenes. But that doesn't mean you're not working. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the hope. Fill us with hope even when we can't see you at work. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.